The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Oh, and first pitch crushing! Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. What's up, and welcome in to Fantasy Baseball Today on Thursday, November 30th. I am Frank Stample, joined by Scott White. Today on the show, we're diving back into our position recaps. And given that outfield is so massive, we're going to spend all day just recapping the position, probably the top 24-ish, and then we'll spend an entire podcast next week previewing Scott's early 2024 rankings, and we'll get to as many names then that we don't get to today. Plus, we had a semi-interesting signing with uh, Luis Severino to the New York Mets, the crosstown rival New York Mets. We'll get to that a little bit later on. Scott spent a lot of time recapping these players, diving deep, Mm -hmm. Looking at some ADP, some early outfield ADP. And I really don't want to overstate this, but, and we've talked about it a lot already. It's just bad, man. (laughs) It's it's just, in a five outfielder league, it just Uh gets so bad. Like, I'm doing one of my first NFBC slow drafts right now, and it's a 15-team, five outfielder league. And, again, I just waited too long. (laughs) And it's... It's not great. Yeah, we, we we did talk about that on the last episode when we were recapping the mock draft. How one of my rules, especially in a five outfielder league this year, is going to be when in doubt, go with the outfielder early on. Like if, if you're if you're weighing an infielder or an outfielder and you're you're kind of split on it, go with the outfielder because it that that's the position that is clearly the weakest going in. Uh, and I mean, another way to put it, I you know we've done we've done all the infield position recaps already. First base, I see more than 12 players that I'm comfortable having as my starter. Second base, more than 12 players. Third base, shortstop, more than 12 players that I'm comfortable having as my starter. In the outfield, it might be like 25. It's certainly not 36. And forget 60 if you're talking a five <laughs> outfielder league. It's, it's um, yeah, it, th- there's really no comparison between each of the infield spots and then and then the outfield. So... Uh, that's not to say there isn't upside throughout the out. You, you, you get that many players at a position. Uh, the, the more players you have at a position, the, the more names that are there, the more opportunities there are for breakouts and surprises. And I'm, I'm sure there will be, I'm sure there will be some of those. And, and maybe you go into the season with a weak outfield and it turns out to be not so weak. I, I think that's, that's plausible, but you, you obviously don't want to put yourself in a, in a bad position out of the gate if if you could avoid it. Yeah, there definitely is some upside too. And we'll do an outfield prospect podcast next week with the Welsh. And obviously we'll talk about Wyatt Langford and Jackson Churio, two of the top five prospects in baseball. So there's a little bit of upside later on, but just even in the mid-tier, I just, again, I was taking notes today and I just kept finding something wrong with a bunch of different players. So I don't know. Yeah. Let, let's get into it and, and we'll we'll start there. The uh, outfield recap, again, we'll try and get through the top 24 today. And uh, I'm going to present these to you, Scott, in trios. So 
You could talk about all three players if you want. You could focus on one if you think he's more interesting than the other. Obviously, the names up top, you know, they're all really good, but uh, we'll, we'll break them down. The top three, the number one outfielder, the number one player in fantasy this year, no surprise, Ronald Acuna, who just had a historic season, 41 homers, 73 steals. He earned $71.4 worth of auction value in a 12-team Roto League. The next closest was Matt Olson at $46.6. And I think last year when we talked about Aaron Judge having his historic season, I think he was somewhere around like the upper 50s or maybe he was a $60 player. $71 worth of auction value, just a ridiculous season mm-hmm. for Ronald Acuna. He scored 817 fantasy points on CBS. The next closest was Freddie Freeman at 666.5. We know it was utter dominance. The number two player was Mookie Betts, finished fourth overall in uh, Roto. 39 home runs was a career high. Also hit 307. Will he manage to uh, maintain that massive batting average? I guess that remains to be seen. And the number three player was Corbin Carroll, unanimous National League Rookie of the Year. 25 homers, 54 steals. He was incredible. Scott, three awesome players, which should go in the top, I don't know, six or seven picks in... I would say all fantasy drafts this year. Yeah. No, I mean, for me, all three, uh, Acuna, Betts, and, and Carroll are actually top five players, uh, with with Betts being number five for me. So no, uh, no reason to veer too much from what we saw in 2023. I think it's it's pretty legit from all of these guys, which is really saying something in Acuna's case, because just to... You know, just to marvel a little more about how impressive of a season it was. In my opinion, the best Roto season of all time. A guy delivering what almost, what'd you say, almost $75 worth of Se- value? 71.4. 70, okay, rounded, rounded up. But yeah, um, so some facts here. It was the third 30 homer 50 steal season ever. And of course it was way more than that. It was a 40 homer 70 steal season. So nobody's come close to that, but those numbers kind of overshadow everything else. Ronald Acuna did his 149 runs scored were the second most for any player since 1949. Oh gosh. And all of that, the forty plus the, the 41 homers, the 73 steals, the 149 runs came with him sustaining a batting average, a 337 batting average that would have led the majors three of the past five years. So in every way that a player can be, a st- I mean, it, it, it was beyond studly what Ronald Acuna did. And I don't know, maybe, maybe he won't be able to do that again. Law of averages says he won't, but like he was so far ahead and in, in ways that are believable. I mean, obviously the 73 steals, it, it speaks to the, the, the rule changes that were, that took effect, encouraging more base stealing and nobody seemed to take advantage of it more than Acuna. He seemed to relish that opportunity to run more. Um, and, and then the batting average, we've never seen him hit 337 before, but he basically cut his strikeout rate in half from the best it had been previously. He struck out 11.4% of the time. His his low prior to that was 23.6%. So you can understand how it all came together for him. And, uh, you know, at 25 years old, it's a good chance he has more of those seasons to come. I will also say, changing to Mookie Betts here, you mentioned the batting average. Can he do that again? I have my doubts about that. If I didn't have my doubts about that, maybe Mookie Betts would be my number two overall player. Uh, but him hitting 307, uh, that's compared to, and again, we're talking about Mookie Betts now, that's compared to the previous two years he hit uh, 269 and 264. And as somebody who doesn't make imp- particularly impactful contact, uh, and, and derives his power more from a high fly ball rate, it makes sense that Mookie Betts would uh, in, end up with more of a middling batting average than what we saw from him this past year. That that kind of fits the profile more at this stage of his career. He's not much of a base dealer anymore. Uh, he did hit a career high in home runs. 
It was his second straight year setting a career high in home runs. So at some point, you got to wonder if regression is going to happen for Mookie Betts in that regard. Still, he's the leadoff hitter for the Dodgers, and he's been a, a first-round caliber player in fantasy for so long. And he's second base eligible now, probably going to be playing him in outfield regardless. But I, I, I'm not totally sanguine about Mookie Betts as a top five pick, but I think weighing all the positives and negatives, he still comes out as a top five pick for me. The expected stats for what they're worth on Mookie Betts, 295 XBA. He actually hit the ball the hardest of his career, 92.4 average exit velocity. But I think that kind of goes hand in hand. Will he maintain hitting the ball that hard? And if he does, then maybe he will maintain a very high batting average. But, you know, previous years say that we probably shouldn't expect him to uh, hit the ball as hard as he did again this season, at least just based on historical data that we have from him. Corbin Carroll, I've talked about a lot down the stretch and and even so far in the offseason, just bringing up that shoulder injury that he suffered and, and dealt with a few different times throughout the season, had a torn labrum in his shoulder back in 2021. Just wanted to bring up a quote here that I found. After one of the incidents in July where he basically swung the bat and just dropped it and everyone thought his season was over. Quote, I took a swing and I felt a shift in my shoulder. Shocking, tingling sensation go down my arm and then my hands go numb. I was just holding it, thinking about it. Uh, came out of the socket, pretty much thought that the season was over. The next day he was in the lineup. So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm overstating that. But even just hearing a quote like that, Scott, and tingling sensation... Felt like my shoulder came out of the socket. Thought my season was over. Mm -hmm. That stuff scares me, man. And and like the power did come down in the second half. So I'm like, was that just natural regression or was that due to the shoulder? So I don't know. I I still have my concerns. The same thing happened again less than a week later. So he he has that whole episode. We think, oh, okay, Corbin Carroll's done. Comes back. He's in the line of the next game, as you said. He hits a home run. Yeah. And then a couple days later, he leaves again, grabbing that shoulder and like, oh, the season's over. And then he's in the lineup the very next day, and, and then we don't hear about it again. Um, you're right, the home run production. So that was July 4th when he was back in the lineup, if I have this timeline right. And so uh, July 4th to the end of the season, he hit, uh, Corbin Carroll hits eight home runs in 75 games. Mm. It's not... not the kind of power production you want from a top five pick. And maybe, maybe there's reason to think everything isn't right with that shoulder, except he homers twice in the postseason. Correct. You know, um, and the exit velocities were fine. It's not like there was a, a it's not like his exit velocity tanked and, and that corresponded to the drop in home runs. So, you know, you got a 50 steel guy who's, probably in a worst case scenario going to hit you 20 home runs and it may be closer to 30. He, he, he played for four months counting the playoffs without that shoulder being an issue again, July, August, September, October. Yeah. Four months. I don't know. I I think it's kind of water under the bridge at this point, though. I understand just the aesthetics of it. Make it, uh, make it, make it hard to forget. Wait, look, I might be on an island with that, and, and that's fine, but I just I want to play it as safe as possible in the early rounds. I still think Corbin Carroll's a first-round pick, don't get me wrong, but like Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, those guys just feel safer to me, and I'll probably have them ranked ahead of Corbin Carroll this season. The number four outfielder was Julio Rodriguez, who finished eighth overall in Roto. He hit 275 with 32 home runs, 102 runs, 103 RBI, 37 steals, Got off to this really slow start uh, the first three months of the year. He was batting 238. And then over the final three months, he hit 312 with 19 home runs, 19 steals, and a 924 OPS. So it seems like all is good there. And he turns 23 in December. Julio Rodriguez is obviously awesome. Kyle Tucker was the fifth best outfielder. And uh, he just hit 284, 29 homers. Finally got the counting stats up because he had the opportunity to bat in the middle of the Astros lineup. We've been waiting for this for years out of Dusty Baker. Obviously, Dusty Baker no longer there. But uh, 30 30 steals, 29 home runs for Kyle Tucker. He's been between 29 and 30 home runs each of the past three years. The stolen bases have been on the rise each of the past three seasons as well. Uh, And then the number six 
outfielder was Cody Bellinger. He finished 12th overall in Roto. We spoke about him more in depth on our first base podcast. Feel free to add anything you want on Bellinger, Scott. But uh, obviously, awesome seasons for Julio Rodriguez and Kyle Tucker. And again, likely to be top seven or eight picks, I would say, in fantasy. Yeah, uh, Julio Rodriguez is number three for me. So I, I I would draft him ahead of Corbin Carroll. I would draft him ahead of Mookie Betts. It would be nice if he could avoid the slow start because there have been, you know, the, uh, his his rookie and sophomore seasons now, there's been a lot of panic in the air over Julio Rodriguez until, until the weather warms up and he just becomes an absolute monster. Um, it would be nice if we could avoid that stage this upcoming season. He's just good right out of the gate. And who knows where his numbers end up if if that happens. As it is, you know, a 32-homer, 37-steal season – it's 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 not hard to see that turning into a 40-40 season. And that's why I think Julio Rodriguez is among that very special group of players at the top of Roto Draft specifically in points leagues. He loses some value that you have to take among the top five picks. Because if you can get if you can get a hitter like that who can deliver 40 to 50 steals, which is more possible now than we've seen in fantasy in a long time, like that is that puts you so far ahead of of the curve when it comes to balancing out your categories that it's just, it's just something you have to take advantage of it. You're crazy not to. Uh, so I'd like if Julio Rodriguez struck out less, I'd like if he was a bit more consistent from start to finish, but the totals are what they are and they're pretty spectacular. I just, I want to highlight that he had a four game stretch in mid August where he had no fewer than four hits in those four games. Four for six, five for five, four for five, four for six. His his batting average went from Oof. 256 to 278. Wow. And by the end of August, it was up to 286. So a two-week span, he brought his batting average up from 256 to 286. It ended up at 275, but like that just kind of that just kind of gives you inside the a, a peek inside the streakiness for Julio Rodriguez. He kind of turned his whole season around with that stretch of games. That August, by the way, he hit 429 overall with an 1197 OPS. I mean, that was just a massive month, which really helped get his overall numbers back on track. Uh, Kyle Tucker, anything you wanted to add on Kyle Tucker, Scott? I mean, seems like he's consistently around 25-25, 30-30 the past two years. And again, uh, he finally got to hit in the middle of the lineup. 56 games batting third, 43 batting cleanup, 56 batting fifth, which all helped him produce career best counting stats. So he's my number seven player for next year in Roto. You got the big base dealers in Acuna, Bobby Witt, Julio Rodriguez, and Corbin Carroll. You got Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman, who are just spectacular hitters who aren't total zeros for stolen base for for stolen bases. And then who I think that's that's my top six, and I, I'd you'd be hard pressed to move me off that top six. Kyle Tucker's my number seven, but I'm less, I'm, I'm less committed to that. I would say because, okay, yes, the stolen, the home run stolen base combo is great. The, the, the stolen bases keep going up year after year for, for Kyle Tucker last three years, 14, then 25, then 30. So it doesn't seem like, it doesn't seem like he's shying away from that, but his sprint speed this year was only 32nd percentile which means, you know, he was in the lower third as far as how fast he is, and he stole 30 bases. Uh, and it's been trending down. As the stolen bases have gone up, the the sprint speed for Kyle Tucker has gone down, and at some point, you have to wonder if the rubber's going to meet the road there, and uh, he stops being such a base stealer. Also, he hit 284 this past year. That was compared to 257 in 2022. Now, given Kyle Tucker's strikeout rate, I think the higher batting average is what we should expect from him. But there has been enough inconsistency there that uh, I don't think you can etch it in stone. That's what you're getting from him. So, like, I I do see some I do see some reasons to doubt Kyle Tucker, given the hefty price you're paying for him. Like I, I don't think he's I, I don't think it's at, I don't think he's as straightforward as the numbers would suggest. But for now, I'm going with the numbers and taking him seventh overall next year. 
2024. All right. The number seven outfielder was Juan Soto. He finished 14th overall in Roto. He hit 275 with 35 homers, 97 runs, 109 RBI, 12 steals, and a 930 OPS. He had more walks and strikeouts for the fourth straight year. We know that he got off to a slow start, but overall numbers at obviously came out very good, was helped out by a massive September where he hit 340 with 10 homers, six steals, and 1156 OPS. StatCast numbers are still awesome. Subject to trade rumors right now, it it seems more likely than not than Juan, that Juan Soto is going to be dealt. Uh, I got some, you know, the latest hot stove rumors coming up a little bit later on, but apparently the Yankees and Padres are, are swapping names and they're kind of trying to figure things out. I'm sure other teams will try and get involved as well. The number eight outfielder was Adolis Garcia, who finished 16th overall. Career highs across the board, 39 homers, 108 runs, 107 RBI. The problem, the steals went from 25 to nine. And that was pretty consistent for all the Texas Rangers under Bruce Bochy. So I don't know that the steals are going to come back, but did some really nice things in terms of plate discipline, hit the ball really hard again, looked amazing in the playoffs. Uh, I think you know what you're going to get with Adolis Garcia. It's lower batting average and really, really good home runs and counting stats. And uh, number nine was Luis Robert, who finally stayed healthy and mostly put it together. He hit 264, 38 homers, 20 steals, runs an RBI, leave a little bit to be desired. And I, I'm not expecting the White Sox to be very good here in 2024 either, Scott. But, um, you know, some things about Luis Robert, just like the injury history, the plate discipline is really bad. I mean, he chases a lot. The swinging strike rate is really high. I love the player. I love watching him play. But like second round price tag for a guy who has warts like that. I don't know. I'm a little bit I'm a little bit scared off is, is my early feel on Luis Robert. But any thoughts on uh, him, Adolis Garcia and Juan Soto? Well, I think one of these things is not like the others. Juan Soto is at least in the conversation to go in round one, certainly round two, if not round one. And um those other two, Luis Robert and Adolis Garcia, you know, the, the warts are a little more glaring there. I understand we've had our uh, our issues with Juan Soto. He's failed to live up to the hefty price tag uh, the last two years. Mostly this has to do with batting average. He's not much of a base dealer. His power production isn't top of the scales either. So for him to be a first-round player in... Roto leagues, five by five leagues. Points leagues are a different story because his plate discipline is second to none. But for him to be a first round caliber player in Roto leagues, he really needs to deliver a high batting average. And we've seen from the last two years that that's no guarantee. I do think there are plenty of 300 seasons in Soto's future. There's probably a batting title or two in Juan Soto's future. But since we can't pencil him in for a 300 batting average in five by five leagues, I don't know that we should treat him like a first-rounder anymore. For me, he's more like a mid-second-rounder. But that could all change if he's traded because I'm going to give you... I'm going to read off some stats for you here. Uh, player A and player B. Let's do that fun thing. I don't know. Maybe that's not the way to handle this, but we're going to do it. So here's player A, 307 batting average, 1026 OPS. Player B, 240 batting average, 827 OPS. Player A is Juan Soto on the road last year. Player oh. B is Juan Soto at home, hitting 240 with an 827 OPS. Petco Park, over the last three years, according to StatCast, is the second worst place to hit overall. And it seems like Juan Soto is susceptible to that. For his career, Juan Soto, who I'll remind you, is a career 284 hitter with a 946 OPS. But his career in San Diego, Juan Soto is only a... Hang on, let me get Petco up. Okay, yeah. For his career in San Diego, Juan Soto, 231 with a 783 OPS. Like, it's... It just doesn't seem like a good environment for him. He goes to the Yankees. I mean, that could be a total game changer, you know? Uh, it might be hard to pass him up in the first round in that case. So definitely want to monitor Soto's offseason movement. A couple quick thoughts on the other two here before we move on. 
I think Luis Robert, uh, obviously he's held back by a supporting cast. The run and RBI totals aren't going to match up with everything else. But, you know, he did deliver the 38 homers, the 20 steals. He he more or less gave us what we were hoping to see if he could only stay healthy. But, you know, I don't think we should just assume he's going to stay healthy because he managed to stay relatively healthy playing 148 games. Remember, he hadn't even played 100 prior to that in a year. Uh, so that gives me a little bit of pause in addition to the 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 the, the run and RBI concerns. Um, let me see where I rank him overall. Probably lower than the consensus. I don't know. Where, where's Luis Robert going on average in early NFBC drafts? 27.7. Yeah, I have him 29th, so pretty much on par. Though I have starting pitchers pushed down maybe more than... Uh, more than early ADP does. Um, so that's the story with him. Adolis Garcia, he's become a lot more power-centric. Like, he's he's more one-dimensional than I think we thought of him as the, the... We thought of him being the previous two years. 39 home runs, that's great. Only nine stolen bases, a drop from 25 the year before. Even though stolen bases were all the rage in 2023. Or everybody was running more. Adolis Garcia... Adolis Garcia was an exception. His plate discipline is still horrible. Well, I guess the walks are improving. Pitchers are fearing him a little more. Yeah, no, he he got a lot better. He cut the chase rate. He cut the swinging strike rate. He improved. It's still bad, but it's not as bad. You know, he hit 245, so he's a liability there. The run in RBI production is good in the Rangers lineup. That helps to elevate him, I think, beyond what the surface numbers look like. I don't know that, like I, like I said, when in doubt, go with the outfielder. But Adolis Garcia is probably a liability in batting average and not going to help much in stolen bases anymore. So I just don't know if I like the fit. Like those, those are two categories that you want to fill early in roto drafts, and you're going to have to go pretty early for Adolis Garcia. Even I have him 40th overall, even though I don't really like him that much i i don't know he's 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 a tough one for me well guess what scott you like adolis garcia more than the early adp because he's at 44.5 yeah. so there's probably a few closers there going ahead of him in an fbc uh so far there yeah there's two devin williams yeah. and edwin diaz yeah so i don't know how do you feel about adolis garcia you've always been <laughs> more in his corner than i have Fun player to watch. Love to root for the guy, but it is an interesting skill set. I mean, I say all that. He just finishes the 16th overall player in Roto, right? So he, he was amazing, and he provides counting stats in one of the best lineups in baseball. But, yeah, I mean, what he's going to give you is home runs, runs, and RBI. And, again, kind of bad batting average. Not many steals anymore. It's got to be the right fit. Um, I don't know. I think as of now, if he's like a – Mid fourth round pick, I'm I'm probably not going to be as invested. If he still gave you like 20 steals, I'd be like, okay, yeah, I'm I'm down to do it. But yeah, yeah, nine, eh, not so much. Let's take our first break. When we return, we'll talk about Luis Severino to the Mets, a couple other uh, hot stove rumors, and uh, then we'll get back into the outfield. We'll do that here on Fantasy Baseball today. Robert Half research indicates nine out of ten hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles. Chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back in. Let's break down the latest moves before we get back into our outfield recap. And as I mentioned, Luis Severino has agreed to a one-year, $13 million deal with the New York Mets. Spent the first eight years of his career with the Yankees, and now he joins 
uh, manager Carlos Mendoza across town. Mendoza, formerly with the Yankees, obviously has some familiarity with Luis Severino. There is no way to sugarcoat it, Scott. Severino was awful this year. A 6.65 ERA that was 7th highest among pitchers with at least 80 innings pitched. A 165 whip that was tied for the 8th highest. Everything just kind of went wrong. I mean, the strikeouts plummeted. The walk rate was elevated. He gave up 23 home runs in only 89 and a third innings. It's pretty crazy stuff. And I'm not really sure why. I don't know how to explain it. Uh, the fastball velocity was fine. Spin rates were all there. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, that the, the whiff rate on the slider, it was just completely ineffective. It completely fell off. Was he pitching hurt? I think that's entirely possible. He's dealt with a lot of injuries. He went on the IL with a strained lat right before the season. It's been an issue for him in the past as well. So I don't know. Maybe there's a chance that the Mets can kind of figure it out and he, you know, pitches well for one year and then earns himself a multi-year deal, kind of like the pitching version of Cody Bellinger. But I don't know how much we have to, to, to base that optimism off of right now. No, it's not much other than basically what you said. The individual pitch characteristics for Luis Severino were more or less the same as... Uh, as we saw in, in, in 2022, when I, I think it's worth reminding everybody, he was really good in 2022. You know, it was basically a three-year wait uh, for, for Luis Severino with all the injuries. He hardly pitched between 2019 and 2021. Uh, but then in 2022, where he actually threw more innings than in 2023, he had a 318 ERA, an even one whip, 9.9K per nine. It looked like the wait was worth it. For Severino, uh, and, and then this past year it was just a total dud with more injuries. Didn't even get to a hundred innings. I think I'd feel better about his chances of of recapturing that prior form if he went somewhere other than the Mets, who aren't exactly known as uh, as uh, you know magic magic makers. But it's a new front office. It's a new coaching staff. You know, maybe things could be different for the Mets and maybe, you know, they ultimately were willing to pay him $13 million. Maybe they see something they can salvage with Luis Severino. Clearly nothing more than a late round flyer at this point, because, you know, if he doesn't, if he doesn't click right away, you're probably going to drop him and move on to the flavor of the week, next flavor of the week on the waiver wire. But uh, there is a chance. I'm saying there's a chance. Oh, there is a chance. Look, you mentioned it. 2022 was a strong season for him. Uh, 318 ERA, a 1.0 whip on the nose. He was the SP31 in head-to-head points per game. This is Luis Severino we're talking about. But, you know, he hasn't thrown more than 102 innings since 2018. So we have a a pretty big injury history and, and obviously coming off some Big underperformance from Severino. We'll see if he can get it back with the New York Mets. Some other smaller moves. The Red signed reliever Emilio Pagan to a two-year deal. The Royals signed Garrett Hampson to a one-year deal. And the Mets signed Joey Wendell to a one-year deal as well. And the latest hot stove rumors. Mentioned this earlier. The Padres and Yankees have exchanged names on potential players in a Juan Soto trade. But nothing is close to happening as of now. Apparently, Anthony Volpe, Jason Dominguez, Clark Schmidt, and Michael King were all mentioned. Um, obviously, the Padres are going to ask for the best young players from the Yankees, and uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll see where it goes from there. John Morosi reported that the trade talks regarding Dylan Cease have intensified in the last two days and that a deal is increasingly possible prior to next week's winter meetings. Uh, just reading the tea leaves, Scott, it sounds like your Atlanta Braves, the Dodgers, and probably the Baltimore Orioles. I think those are probably the three most likely candidates for Dylan Cease to get traded to as of now, uh, but we shall see. The Brewers are apparently looking to negotiate an extension with their top prospect, outfielder Jackson Chorio, and Ken Rosenthal wrote that if a deal gets done, it's likely Chorio will be on the opening day roster, which would, uh, would change things for his fantasy value quite a bit. Chorio mm-hmm. is... I think one of the five best prospects in all of baseball. He turns just 20 years old in March. This past season, hit 282 with 22 homers, 44 steals. That was mostly in double A to get six games in at triple A. The early ADP is 250.7. But if he signs this extension, Scott, I I could see that number climbing 75, 100 spots for, for Jackson Trio. 
Yeah, hot take. I'm not sure it's contingent on the extension. The extension would make it almost a foregone conclusion he's on the major league roster, but like they're not going to keep him. They're not going to be able to keep Jackson Chorio down until August. You know, they're they're going to use up his rookie eligibility this year. And wouldn't they rather have a shot at getting an extra draft pick by, you know, he's got to be on the roster opening day and stay on it all season for 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 him to be a candidate to earn them uh, an extra draft pick. So uh, I think there's a chance he makes the opening day roster regardless. And, and this this just makes it even clearer that that's how the Brewers are thinking. They just hope that the the whole extra year of control thing doesn't have to factor into this to, into the decision making. This early ADP's got two fifty point seven fifty fifth outfielder off the board for Jackson Churio. Do you think that climbs? Does that sound right to you? What do you think? Uh, let me see where I rank him. And I could stand to rank him higher myself, I'm sure. I have him 54th. That's that's almost exactly what you said, right? Yeah, 55th in ADP. Yeah. I have Chorio 54th. I have Wyatt Langford 46th. It gets... This, this is a stretch of outfielders that gets really difficult to rank because it's like, just it's kind of just pick your favorites. They all have strengths and weaknesses and it's not like any clearly outclasses the other. Obviously, Chorio, Langford, young guys like that have a ton more upside than the players you're ranking them alongside. But, you know, it's it's not like they're going to make good on it right away in all likelihood. All right, there have been some whispers of trade rumors on both Bo Bichette and Vladimir Guerrero Jr., not sure that I'm buying it. Would be extremely surprising, I think, for either of those guys to be moved. There also have been some whispers of Randy Arozarena being on the trade block. We know it sounds like the Tampa Bay Rays want to cut some payroll. Uh, Tyler Glass now seems like they're shopping him. Will they actually move Arozarena? I think he has either two or three more years of team control. That that would surprise me for Tampa Bay. So I don't know. I think we. I think we rate a Rosarena higher as fantasy players than uh than he he actually rates in real life. He's not a great defender. You know, a lot of his values from speed, which is you know, station to station. It's you know, obviously stolen bases are more valuable in fantasy than in real life. So I could see him being moved. It's it's the Rays MO not to be fearful when they feel like a player's maxed out his value and and is is going to be a financial detriment to them moving forward, they got a great backlog of talent as always. Got to see Jonathan Aranda get at bats somewhere. <laughs> uh, so I wouldn't surprise me if they moved Arena as well. And and I I think the Braves have been mentioned as a possibility for him. Ooh. They got to do something because they keep missing out on uh, everybody they're linked to. Yeah, uh, Braves could use a left fielder, so that would make some sense. The winter meetings start next week, so giddy up. Should be fun. It sounds like there's a chance Otani signs by the end of winter meetings. I've heard that multiple times. So, uh, yeah, we could know by the end of next week. That would be some pretty crazy stuff. And uh, big thanks to everybody sending in those Spotify gift wrap tweets and X's. Love to see it. A bunch of people pointing out how much they've listened to us over the past year. And obviously, we're super grateful and appreciative of that. So, continue sending them in. It's, it's awesome stuff to see. Let's continue on with our outfield recap, Scott. And number 10, 11, and 12, we have... Lane Thomas, Christian Yelich, and Josh Lowe. Uh, Lane Thomas coming off a career year. Obviously had some free reign with the Nationals, a team that's not really competing for much. 28 homers, 101 runs scored, 86 RBI, 20 steals. Awesome year. Notice some things with him. The splits are massive. He was amazing against lefties, amazing at home, terrible against righties, terrible on the road. Also took a pretty big step Back in the second half, that's Lane Thomas. Christian Yelich, awesome year for him. Uh, he was solid last year, but then kind of really picked it back up this season. 278 batting average, 19 homers, 106 runs scored, 28 steals, only three caught stealing. So incredibly uh, efficient on the base paths. But again, like started to get dinged up with his back injury, fell off in August and September. So I, I just worry about that year over year for Christian Yelich. He's getting up there. Turns 32 in December. And uh, Josh Lowe, this was the post-hype sleeper, which came to fruition. 292 batting average, 20 homers, 32 steals. He was one of just seven players to go 20 homers, 30 steals this past season. Cut the strikeout rate down tremendously. But we do kind of have that Tampa Bay Rays thing here, Scott, where 
doesn't play as much as other awesome fantasy players, right? Doesn't play against lefties, hasn't been great against lefties. So mm-hmm. I don't think that's really going to change for Josh Lowe. I mean, well, he was still great for fantasy, but I don't well, know if it'll change. I don't know if it'll change, but I think it could change. <sighs> if they trade Randy Arozarena, if they trade Randy Arozarena, they are kind of anointing Josh Lowe as their new offensive leader, right? Is there somebody I'm overlooking? Well, Jonathan Aranda. Come on, Scott. <laughs> Not yet. Maybe someday. Uh, I mean, Brandon Lau's been banged up a lot in recent years, so it wouldn't be him. Yeah. Yeah, probably would Yandy, be, I guess. Yandy yeah. Diaz is a, but, you know, better in real life than fantasy. No, I think I think Josh Lau, or I'm sorry, Josh Lowe. Shh. Brandon Lau's going to make me second guess, second guess every low that ever comes <laughs> across my screen ever again. Uh, Josh Lowe, I think, is amazing. And um, I do think because of the playing time concerns, people are underestimating how impactful he could be in fantasy. I mean, 20 homers, 32 steals, high batting average. You know, Getting to 32 steals with the batting average and the power despite losing some playing time. I mean, what does that say about how... Josh Lowe could be how good Josh Lowe could be. Could he be? Could he approach Corbin Carroll numbers with true full time at bats? It doesn't seem so far fetched. Well, you have to imagine. Look, he's still young. Maybe maybe he'll be all right against lefties. I mean, he wasn't right. he wasn't very good against them this year. He hit two thirty eight with a seven twelve OPS. So if he plays more against lefties, that'll drag down the batting average a little bit. I mean, maybe he could still hit two seventy with. Maybe it becomes 25 homers and 40 steals, which is still a really awesome player. But mm-hmm. I guess you're kind of looking at a glass half full, which yeah. is entirely possible. But which you kind of need to in the outfield, you know? Yeah, what, I hear what, that. Once you get past the first and second round types. The problem, I, I see 501 plate appearances. That was 51st among outfielders. And right. if it doesn't improve, then it, it, it still kind of puts a, a cap. I mean, I say all that. He just finishes a top 12 outfielder, right? So, mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe, yeah. I, maybe I'm no, just. I mean, maybe I'm just judging harshly. I, I maybe, uh, and and I know everybody likes exit velocity. I like exit velocity. His exit velocities are, you know, average exit velocity, pretty middle of the pack. But expected batting average was 85th percentile. Expected slug was 81st percentile. In spite of the middling exit velocities, Josh Lowe. Stack has to like Josh Lowe. Said he was, you know, pretty much who he presented himself to be, and so I think, uh, I think if you miss out on the studs, he should be a top target for. You. Even if you get some of the studs, you know, in a five outfielder league, you should. Josh Lowe should be a top target for you. In our first mock draft, our, that Roto mock draft, where my outfield turned out pretty nice, uh, I drafted Josh Lowe. I think he was my second outfielder, unless I'm remembering wrong. I think in a roto league, I'd feel good about that. Yeah, I've, I have him ranked 19th at the position, so I feel good about it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I like him a lot. Uh, let's see, who else did we talk about here? We had Lane Thomas and Yelich. Yeah. My initial instinct was to bury Lane Thomas in my rankings because it strikes me as an overachiever, bad second-half numbers... I ended up putting him 26th for next year. And, and, and early ADP has him 24th. So I'm, I'm basically in line with that. Outfield is so bad. <laughs> you know, I, I, I said at the top, right, there are 25 outfielders I good, feel good about having as my starter. And then I just said Lane Thomas is 26th for me. So he's the first outside of that. Like, clearly he performed like a must-start player in 2023. I don't really buy it. But once you get past those top 25... You know, you you have to you, you you have to like build in opportunities for players to exceed expectations, and at least we just saw Lane Thomas exceed expectations. So um, I'm discounting him, but probably to about the same extent everybody else is. And then as for Yelich, I think the fact that he took advantage of the new stolen base rules has him has him as like a borderline elite outfielder. 
you know, there's the injury risk. He's obviously not the power hitter he's anymore. He, he He's obviously not the power hitter he used to be, but he gets on base a ton. And if he's going to be like a 30 steal guy instead of the 15 to 20 steal guy we had seen him be the previous three years, then, you know, that that's pretty good. That's pretty good. That uh, that covers up, that makes up for a lot of those warts that have been developing for Yelich. An injury risk, sure, but, you know, some good some good things he does too. Who do you rank higher between Josh Lowe and Christian Yelich? I have Yelich 17th and Lowe 19th. But I'm more excited about Lowe. I think I would take Lowe ahead of Yelich. Yeah, I might have to think about that a little more. Now, if it's a if it's a points league, the 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 walk difference there, I think, moves Yelich ahead. And the volume, yeah. Just yeah. Whenever he's yeah. healthy, he's gonna play every day where again we can't say that for sure when it comes to josh Lowe. let's take our final break when we return we'll try and uh, finish out the final uh, what do we got here 12 outfielders to talk about we'll do that right after this mother's day is around the corner find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from blue nile from timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones blue nile has something she'll adore need it fast most items can ship overnight Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back in. Let's continue on with our outfield recap. Number 13, 14, and 15 this past season. We had Fernando Tatis, Nick Castellanos, and Randy Arozarena. Fernando Tatis... Uh, first year back from suspension, shoulder, and wrist surgeries. Still hit 25 homers, 29 steals, only 257 batting average, and a 770 OPS. We'll see if, you know, maybe one year under his belt, another offseason can kind of get back on track. But there are reasons to question it, obviously. The uh, number 14, we mentioned Nick Castellanos. Uh, huge bounce back year, second season in Philadelphia, hit 272 with 29 home runs, 106 RBI with uh, 11 steals. The RBI and steals were actually both career highs for him. That play discipline just continues to get worse and worse. I mean, he's always chased pitches, but we're talking about like a, a 43, 44% chase rate for Nick Castellanos. I mean, eventually it's going to catch up to him. Uh, and then number 15, Randy Rosarena. 254 batting average, 23 homers, 22 steals, three straight years going 2020 with an OPS between 773 and 815. He got off to that awesome start last year, was not nearly as good over the final five months. But when you look up at the end of the season, the past three years, Randy Rosarena has gotten it done. And I think that's what matters, at least from a Roto perspective. Scott, your thoughts on those three? Well... I mean, they they seem like they belong in different tiers, right? Yeah. Tatis, oh, yes. Tatis belongs in the stud tier. We're expecting him to bounce back. Is that the right word? He, he he should be better than he was. He was pretty good as it is coming back from wrist surgery, uh, shoulder surgery, PED suspension, having missed basically the first month of the year, 25 homers, 29 steals. That's pretty, that's pretty great. He did only hit 257, but here's the thing for Fernando Tatis. His expected batting average was 281. Yep. It was 87th percentile. Uh, his strikeout rate was actually a career low. He hit the ball plenty hard. Not quite as hard as he was before, but pretty pretty darn hard. And uh, I think it's more likely that the numbers improve than stay the same for Fernando Tatis. So he's a first-rounder for me, you know, and part of the reason he's as low, he was as low as 13th this past year because he missed that time at the beginning of the year, I'm sure. Uh, so that's him. I would say Randy Rosarena belongs as kind of a second-tier outfielder, similarly ranked for me to Adolis Garcia and Christian Yelich. Right in between the two is where I have a Rosarena. His he's he's another one of those players, you know. Tommy Edmond being one. Uh, I don't know. There were a couple examples I mentioned in the infield where, because his stolen base output remained the same while the rest of the leagues improved, it kind of doesn't seem so special anymore. 
There are a lot more stolen bases out there, and he's not as much of a standout in the category himself. A Rosarena stealing 22 bases this year. He had 32 in 2022, so he actually took a step back while the rest of the league was taking a step forward. And what's worse, he gets caught stealing a lot. A team that values efficiency as much as the Rays, presuming he is still with the Rays next year. I don't know. They may not want him running so much. That's that's a little concerning for Rosarini because it's such a big part of his output. He's not a huge power source. Doesn't you know? Do, doesn't generally end up with a good batting average. By the way, I don't think you gave the exact numbers. Second half, uh, Rosarena hit two twenty with a seven hundred OPS. I have the numbers so from the final five months, Scott. I mean, you just take out that first month. From yeah. May on, Rosarena hit 236 with a 745 OPS. So this is what I mean, because I, I didn't speak very fondly of Adolis Garcia, uh, r- really Christian Yelich or, or um, Randy Rosarena, basically that entire tier of outfielders once the studs are gone. I don't really like them that much. And this is supposed to, we're still within that top 25 that I'd be comfortable having as my starter, you know? So like, and, and I don't even like them that much. So it's it's tough, you know. It it, it feels like I, I'm giving a lot of benefit of the doubt to players I don't actually like because the position demands it. So that's sad. Um, and then Nick Castellanos, I th- he, he's outside the top twenty-five for me. Like he doesn't provide stolen bases. Obviously, he's not a much of a help in batting average anymore. Pretty good power source. Um, could have a nice RBI total in the Phillies lineup, but. Just, just kind of, kind of Hunter Renfro like, you know, more like, okay, this guy's good enough to fill out my lineup, but I don't really want him to be a prominent part of my lineup. And he turns thirty-two in March. I mentioned some of that plate discipline, chasing pitches. I think eventually it really could catch up to him and and kind of bottom out for Castellano. So, uh, well, maybe it's not you know twenty twenty-four, but it could be soon thereafter. Uh, last point on Randy Rosarena. I, I know I pointed out like awesome start, not great for May on, but again, it's just like by the end of the season, he's finished as a top 50 player each of the past three years in Roto. So in deeper leagues, he's actually a guy I like because he's, he's like a set it and forget it. You know, you're going to get 2020 out of him. I know he's been inefficient, but I, I think he's still going to run at least in, in 2024. Um, you know, he's just been pretty consistent, I guess, uh, in that way over the past couple of years. Number 16, 17, and 18, we have Kyle Schwarber, Jordan Alvarez, and Aaron Judge. Obviously, those uh, latter two names ranking a little bit lower because they missed a ton of games this past season, but we'll start with Kyle Schwarber. He hit 197, but what he did with that was 47 homers, 108 runs scored, 104 RBI, a 343 on base percentage. He has 46 or more home runs, 100-plus runs scored, 94-plus RBI, two years in a row. He also is batting 207 since the start of 2022, which is the third lowest among qualified hitters. So I love the power. I love the counting stats. But in a Roto League, standard Roto, there's no way. I, I can't take on that batting average. In a points league, he's great. He's he's like a top 10 outfielder. He's awesome. Uh, number 17, Jordan Alvarez. We say the same thing every year, Scott. I mean, he's in contention for best pure hitter in the game, power, and contact combined, hit 293, 31 home runs, did that in just 114 games. But again, another year where he dealt with injuries. Now, you know, the past three years, 144 games, 135, 114. That's trending the wrong way, obviously. And then uh, number 18 was Aaron Judge, who still managed to hit 37 home runs in just 106 games. His 150-game pace, still 52 homers, 111 runs scored, 106 RBI, missed a bunch of games because of a fractured toe, only played, uh, like I said, in 106 games this past season. Uh, lots of power here, Scott. What do you think on uh, Schwarber, Alvarez, and Judge? Yeah, um, so, again, Schwarber's in a different category, and he's really difficult to build around in a Roto League. You, you already touched on this. I mean, such a great power source but he's going to drag down your batting average. And I've stressed a lot in recent weeks that batting average is something you have to fill early. So unless you get like, you know, surefire 300 hitters with 
your first two or two of your first three picks. Uh, it's it's going to be it's going to be hard to justify taking Schwarber as early as he's going to go. And and maybe everybody in your draft will feel that way, and he'll slip to round six or something, and you you know you won't be able to uh, to be able to pass it up. Actually, I'm looking at his early ADP. What it is about round six, isn't it? It looks it's the early eighth round. Mm. All right. And where does Yelich go? Because I have I have Schwarber ranked spot ahead of Yelich. Yeah, maybe I'm maybe I'm higher on Schwarber than the consensus. I don't know. But it's tough. Like it's it's tough to fit it. I I get it. I get the hesitance to draft Schwarber among those who are actually drafting right now versus me just ranking a guy uh where he should go in theory. Yeah, that's a tough one. Uh, I don't plan on having him a lot, even though it seems like I'm higher than the consensus on him. But Alvarez and Judge, look, Judge was the number one player in fantasy next year. I kind of feel like Alvarez is, is as close to being Aaron Judge as any player in baseball could be. Like Alvarez could have a year where he hits 315 with 50 homers. Yeah, that's that's within his capabilities. So. Like the the only reason they they get pushed out of the first round next year, if they do get pushed out of the first round, is just injury concern. That that's the only reason, and it's fair. I mean, like as I've said a lot, also, uh, there's like a round and a half worth of first round caliber players, and somebody has to get pushed out. Maybe you push out those guys because they're not big base dealers and because they have that injury risk, but they could end up being hugely productive top five players in fantasy in 2024. Nobody should be surprised if they do. And I am more likely to take a chance on Alvarez or judge the shallower the format is. If you play in a 10 team league, you know, even a 12 team points league. Yeah. I want guys like that on my team. They have massive upside where the replacement value is going to be better. Once you get into, okay, 15 team leagues, AL, NL only stuff like that. It's, it's harder to take on the risk because, you know, if those guys go down, it's it's really, really hard to replace what you were expecting them to give you. So uh, that's that's probably how I would approach uh, Alvarez and Judge heading into 2024. The number 19 outfielder was Spencer Steer. We spoke about him on our first base recap. Number 20 was TJ Friedel. That's right. He finished 51st overall <laughs> in Roto. You see what we're talking about? We're, the 20th best outfielder was TJ Friedel. Not to take anything away from TJ Friedel, uh, but number 21 was Brian Reynolds, who has also been very consistent over the past couple of years. Friedel hit 18 home runs, 27 steals, solid plate discipline. He makes a lot of contact. He also hits a lot of infield fly balls. It's a very weird profile. His 17% infield fly ball rate, fifth highest in baseball. Those are automatic outs. This is not someone that hits the ball hard. In fact, he does the complete opposite. Um... You know, very lucky, lucky to call Great American Ballpark home because he hit extremely well there. He had 18 home runs, which is 13 barrels. It's just, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> the ADP for TJ Friedel, he's, His, go, he's going very low, so you don't have to worry about it, but he's Friedel's an interesting expect, player. Friedel, Friedel's expected slug is, is uh, second percentile. <laughs> his expected slug. 321 Gosh. is his expected slug. He actually slugged 467. So a huge difference there between what StatCast says Friedel should have been and what he actually was. Brian Reynolds, the other name I mentioned here, he finished 21st overall. Um, 21st among outfielders, 52nd overall in Roto, 22nd outfielder in head-to-head points leagues, 24 homers, 84, uh, 85 runs, 84 RBI, Career-high 12 steals. You like to see that from Reynolds. He's always someone we pegged as, as a player we thought could run more because he does have a little bit higher sprint speed. He's been rock solid, Scott. And based on the expected numbers, they think that Brian Reynolds could be even better. He's a player that I have gravitated towards already, that I could see myself liking. He's not going to blow you away, but I think a very safe floor. If you get him as like your second or third outfielder, I, I think that's awesome. I've I've been a I've been a Brian Reynolds backer for a few years now and mostly been dissatisfied with the results. Like his expected batting average was two eighty, he only hit two sixty-three, and that's that's kind of what's frustrating about him is we've seen a couple times him deliver really good batting average. And if you count on that being part of uh Brian Reynolds' output, then then you know he he'd be Pretty much a stud. He'd be like a number two outfielder in fantasy. 
but it's been so up and down. Uh, it's not helped by a supporting cast. He's not helped by his home venue. Uh, he's also a pretty fast runner. He did have a career high 12 steals this past year, but he didn't take advantage of the rules the way the new rules the way I hoped he would and become like a 20 steal threat. Maybe he still does. I mean, maybe we see running increase around the league even more next year because players have now seen other players take advantage of it and know what they can do to manipulate that more. Um, it's still a possibility, but I I see Reynolds as, you know, he's one of the 25 I'm comfortable having as a starter, but he's on the lower end of that group, I would say. A, a, a couple more words on Friedel here. When you consider how precarious that power production is, uh, it's hard to make a big investment. In free. He's not in my top 25 for next year. It's, it's hard to do because it seems like it could evaporate. It, it could suddenly just disappear. And if, if the power production disappears for Friedel, maybe the at-bats do too because it's not like with all those, the young players, the the Reds are breaking in. It's not like Friedel has, I, I, I don't perceive him as having a ton of job security. He did a good job of getting on base this past year, and if it continues, okay, he'll stay in the lineup. But, you know, just just seems like a lot of ways things could go wrong for him. Sort of like Spencer Steer, his teammate, who's also f- finished in this range. Uh, you know, I wanted to, I don't know if I could pull this up fast enough, but I'm pretty sure TJ Frieda led baseball in bunts for hits too. I feel like whenever I was watching a Reds game, they would talk about it. So, I mean, what happens if some of those go away as well? You know, does the batting average come down too? It's just, look, you don't have to invest too much in him. He's like the 33rd outfielder off the board right now. So it's, it's not a huge investment, but. Uh, I do see a lot of different ways where things could go wrong for TJ Friedel. The final trio offers uh, varying skill sets here, Scotty. And number 22 was Esteri Ruiz, who hit 254 with five home runs, but he had 67 steals, which were second most in baseball behind only Ronald Acuna. The quality of contact was awful. I mean, if we're being honest, Almost everything was awful outside of the stolen the, the stolen bases this year for Esteri Ruiz, but yep. he did have a lot of them. Uh, number 23 was George Springer, who had 21 homers and 20 steals. He was one of 19 players to go 2020 this past season. Starting to get up there, 34 years old. The 732 OPS was a career low. See the barrel rates consistently dropping. I mean, kind of precipitously too, so <sighs> he has a Lengthy injury history as well. Uh, I mean, Springer is fine. I, I think he kind of just is what he is at this point. And then Anthony Santander, who uh, hit 28 home runs. That's back-to-back seasons, 28-plus homers and 89-plus RBI. So if you're looking for power at this point in the draft, then I think Santander is a fine option. If you need speed, I guess it's Ruiz, but he is a weird player to build around. And, and he even lost some playing time in the second half. So I don't know how, how legit the job security is for Esteri Ruiz. No, I, that that's. I, I'm just gonna say it. Estuary Ruiz was a bad major leaguer in 2023. He, maybe no player there was. Maybe for no player was there a greater difference between his fantasy value and his real life value because that steals output was is is so valuable. Certainly in roto leagues and even in points leagues. I mean, it it adds up to a decent point total. But he's a bad on base guy. No power. Not such a good defender for being as fast as he is. A pretty bad defender, actually. And even the, the athletics, as bad as they are, got to a point late in the year where they weren't, they couldn't justify playing him every day. And if Estuary Ruiz isn't playing every day, it'd have to be a pretty deep roto league where you're starting him, I think. I do not like where he's going in early drafts. I have him. Way down in my uh, 39th. I'm 39th in my outfield rankings. I have him low enough that I'm pretty much guaranteeing I'm not getting him. And uh, it would have to be an emergency situation. Like you really just totally, um, totally fell asleep on with with stolen bases. I think if to to make a play for him, given all the concerns there, uh, I like George Springer well enough. I have him ranked just behind Brian Reynolds for next year. I think, you know, proven track record, 
in a pretty good spot there with the Blue Jays. Not as productive as he used to be. Um, but I think, I, you know, part of his his disappointing home run output, Springer, was just that he was pulling the ball less um, early in the year. And he kind of got back to it later in the year, the power output increased. So I, I don't know that it's like true decline from this guy. And meanwhile, he started running more, had his first ever 2020 season. So I, I think George Springer is still a, a worthy starter in the outfield and one of the last that I feel good about having as a starter, even though he only finished 23rd. I mean, that's about what I rank him in the outfield for next year. But I, I think he's fine. Okay. Any final notes on Anthony Santander? Uh, just is what he is. You know, kind of one-dimensional slugger. Um, I'm not going to be excited to draft him, but I, there will certainly be instances where I view him as worth drafting. Yeah, that's that's about it. All right, we're going to wrap there for Scotty. I am Frank. Thanks as always for tuning in to Fantasy Baseball today. Please make sure to follow and leave a five star rating on Apple or Spotify, and we'll be back again next week. Bye bye. 